Hello, and welcome to EPR with your favorite environmental enthusiasts, Nick and Laura. On today's episode, we give our shout outs. Laura and I discuss phobias, well, specifically other people's phobias, because apparently we are both fearless. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we also invite Fred Wagner back to the show to talk about working as a lawyer, the history of environmental policy, and updates to Biden's infrastructure bill. It's a great listen, as always. He does such a good job of breaking down complex items into like little digestible chunks, which is a little bit of a uh, foreshadowing. So it's a great interview. Please do check it out. It's a lot of fun. And then finally, scallops can have over 200 eyes. And I'm telling you, the images of this are haunting. So if you are looking for nightmare fuel, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Look it up. Look up. Scallop eyes. Pretty. I don't know. We're going to have to look at this. There's like one picture where it looks like if it was big, it would scare people. It's like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. <laughs> a maw, like because its mouth is open too, and it's got like whatever the heck is in front, and it's just a hundred and fifty eyes looking at you, <laughs> and it's like this is your death, you know. Like that's where it, for me it was like okay, all right. Um, <laughs> please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Hit that music. Our shout out for today goes to Lyle Hagedorn. He has been one of my best friends for almost 30 years. He's not an environmental professional, but he still listens to every single episode. So thanks, Lyle. Awesome. We appreciate you. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thanks. Keep listening. Also, be sure to check out NAP's leadership blog run by our very own Ron Deverman. You can find it by going to naap.org and clicking on the leadership blog quick link on the homepage. Ron does a really great job pulling it together and writing some articles himself. So it's a mm-hmm. great read head on over it's totally worth it today's episode is sponsored by venable llp which is one of the nation's leading law firms venable's management reflects a commitment to diversity and inclusion through a broad category of hiring training and educational activities the firm's environmental practice group works with clients across the country in major infrastructure development including nepa compliance and resource agency permitting Venable encourages volunteer activities in professional environmental associations as reflected by Frag Wagner's membership on the NAEP board of directors. Nick and I love doing this show. If you love it too and would like to see us keep doing it, we need your help. We can't do it without our awesome sponsors. So if you're interested in sponsoring, please head over to www.environmentalprofessionalsradio.com and check out the sponsor form for more details. Let's get to our segment. Cool. Uh, do I have any phobias? Yeah. I don't think I have any that are, you know, like people's outrageous, whatever, or like debilitating phobias or anything. Right. Um, So you fear nothing. That's what I'm hearing. I have normal phobias. Like if I'm in the water, I'm afraid there might be sharks, but not (laughs) in Mm -hmm. a crazy way. Mm -hmm. Like you still go in the water. You're not. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Why do you? No, no. uh, Same way. Same exact way. But my wife does. She's like deathly afraid of spiders. And she works with tigers every day. It is right, the funniest right. thing to me in the world. <laughs> like she's like, there's like a like a sound I hear in my house. Like nah, 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 nah. it's like her saying my name so fast that only the end gets out. <laughs> and I know that means I have to like you know kill a spider, which uh, is so frustrating. Or take it outside, right? I've, yeah, I was now, say, I don't I've kill now been him. I put them outside. I've been given the option now because I, okay. I I told her I was like, you realize if I kill these spiders, I'm the one that's going to spider hell when I die, right? It's going to be me. <laughs> being tortured by spiders like that's what happens so yeah so now we do i am allowed to put him outside yeah now hers is wild my brother has a vague he has a healthy fear of the ocean 
I would say. That Jaws movie really, really spoke <laughs> spoke to him. So yeah, it's not that he won't go in the water, but he won't go in the water. <laughs> yeah, I don't have like a phobia of slipping and falling down a mountainside, but I do, I have the thing where I picture like the headline like yeah, I do that too. from yeah. being too close to a waterfall or yeah, 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 for sure. Woman visits Grand Canyon and is one of the idiots who falls off the edge. So I don't get close to the edges of stuff, but I'm not like afraid of heights. You know, I will, if it seems safe, safe enough, I guess I will go up like a fire tower and all those things, but I try not yeah. to get towards edges with no rails too close just because I'm clumsy. So it's not like uh-huh. a phobia, it's just a, Overly cautious. Well, maybe? That's a, no, that's just like you know, that's that's just being a you know responsible adult. I think is yeah. what that is. Like, we've had you... with the flooding and stuff here in Syracuse. We've had a few people drown, like getting too close to the waterfalls, and mm. um, somebody drowned yeah. trying to rescue his dog from Erie Canal, which is like super. Oh, sad. that's so sad. Oh, yeah, so I, I, I those things run through my mind, and I, I stay away from the edges. Yeah, and I mean, like, well, you say I don't know. Did I tell you about the guy that? Well, I'll just tell you the story and you tell me if you, I've told you already, but so I went to the Galapagos a few years ago, which was awesome. one of the highlights of my entire life. It was incredible. And we went to this one spot and, you know, every island is different, which is really cool about the Galapagos. One of my favorite things about it is like, there's just so many unique experiences there. But uh, so we're on one of the islands where the albatross are. And so it's yeah. a very rocky, very, very sheer cliff area. And so they have these turns that are me- nesting on the side and we're looking at those. And there's this German family with us with a 14, 15-year-old son. And he is just being a typical teenager, just making fun of every old person that's walking by. <laughs> and my wife and I are looking at him like, you are such, you're such you, you know, it's like you're such a teenager thing, but you're being such a jerk. And he's making fun of everybody at the edge of a cliff, just at the edge of a cliff, right? And like yeah. two minutes earlier, we had seen the biggest tiger shark. I didn't know they could get that big. We'd look down like a hundred feet and it's monstrous from oh, where wow. we were. So it's huge. And we're, I'd say a hundred, 150 feet up and he slips. And I mean, like <gasps> his feet kick out and he grabs on to the rock in front of him. And that's the only thing that saves his life. Oh my God. Like he literally almost fell to his death, making fun of other people. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> His parents didn't see it. Lauren and I were the only ones that did. What? And and he climbs himself back up because we're like, oh my God, we have to go pull this kid up. He finally, he, he's able to climb himself up, doesn't say a word the rest of the time. You're like, yeah, okay. So now he's afraid of heights. <laughs> oh, he's been <laughs> but smoked. It was, it was <laughs> like, I'm glad he's okay. Because at the time we're like, that's, yeah, see, you're being a jerk and not paying attention to anybody. And poof. Like we thought, we, I really thought for like half a second he was going to die. I was like, because there's, he's going to die from the fall and then that shark's going to eat him. Like there's just, ugh, it was, it was really scary. Really, really scary. But yeah, healthy fear of ledges is a good thing. <laughs> I will be keeping that in mind. For yeah, sure. right. <laughs> what a cool experience though. It was really neat. Otherwise, not him falling. <laughs> right. So did you see the big tortoises? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, definitely. They're like, they have a name. I shouldn't be calling them the big tortoises. Well, <laughs> they're just Galapagos tortoises, and there's several species, okay. species of them based on the island that they're on. So every island is that different, where they're just species are unique. And there's actually two main body types. There are, and if you look at their shells, there's like the full dome, and then there's like a half dome. And so it's not really half dome. It's more like the the back of the neck is lifted mm-hmm. up. So basically, the turtles can lift their necks. Oh. 
and grab. So that brand of turtles is, is eating, you know, shrubs and everything. And the other is eating grass. So there's actually two main types on the Galapagos Islands, which is really cool. Interesting. Yeah. I got to get out there. It's fun. It's really fun. And every season is different. So we went during like the calm season, but like they have whale sharks that show up in the winter and penguins that are there some year, some part of the year. And we weren't there for those. And I would say that you should, you should go for eight days at least because I think I would say our first four days, we were kind of like, I mean, there's some cool birds, but uh, what else do you guys got here? You know? <laughs> and then the next four days were just some of the most incredible wildlife we've ever seen. I mean, like you get that, that they are not afraid of people which is weird, but they, that you get like just right up to them, like within, mm. you know, you're supposed to do that. It's basically the same thing with COVID, right? Six feet. <laughs> uh, but we have some just incredible photos of wildlife as a result. And yeah, it was such a good experience. Where'd you very, stay? Very worth. So there's two options. There are three populated islands out there. You could stay on one of those in a hotel and then go out to different islands. Not what we did because you can't see every or as much. You're limited really more in what you, you do. So we, did a cruise and we just happened to do a cruise where we got a big boat and they were renovating the boat so we had half the people that we would normally have on said boat nice and it was great yeah yeah i don't know how you do it with more people like it was just jam-packed but you know the more you pay the smaller the boat and the more intimate the experience but yeah <laughs> we were like well this is all the money we have please let's go do this and so it's it's different for us <laughs> So, uh, but that's yeah, cool. it was, it was really cool. Uh, eight days on more states, but I don't have Galapagos. So that's pretty there awesome. We go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got one. I got one on you. But yeah, it's a really, I mean, so there's like 11 different currents that hit those islands. So that's where they get all that uniqueness from. So there's some dry islands or some very wet islands. And then there's something, I don't know. There's one that looks like a fairy tale. It's really weird. It's like, is there a witch in this forest? Cause I feel like oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really cool. Yeah, I think that my only phobia is not getting to visit all these places before. I die. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> I agree. That's it. Well said. So, uh, yeah, let's get to our interview. Okay. Hello, hello, and welcome back to EPR. Today, we are happy to have our legal expert, Fred Wagner of Venable LLP, on the show. Thanks for stopping by, Fred. It's great to be back. Now, despite having you on twice already, we haven't actually touched on what you do on a day-to-day basis, like your day-to-day responsibilities at Venable. Can you kind of talk through a typical workday for you or you know, who your typical clients are? Well, I, I thought you would avoid that on purpose because you, you thought it would be just <laughs> unbelievably boring for our audience. I thought, that's why, I, thought, I thought that was a conscious decision on your part. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, no. I, you, want to, you really want to know what a lawyer yeah, does? Yeah, we really want to know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I've been doing development and project work for most of my life. And a lot of it is in the planning and execution phase. And a lot of it's in the defense phase. And so I'd say, you know, about two thirds of my time is working with my clients and working with, you know, good people like you trying to you know, satisfy all the requirements of federal and state agencies to get permits and approvals for projects, you know, large, small, and in between. And then if you're successful in getting those approvals and getting those entitlements, you defend them from attack in court. And I've been doing that since I started my career at the U.S. Department of Justice, defending NEPA litigation literally across all 50 states, including Hawaii, and continue that in private practice as well. And 
today is, is actually a very typical day. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a call dealing with a client trying to react to comments it's received on a draft environmental document from its federal partners and trying to figure out how to satisfy all their concerns and questions and yet at the same time try to keep to a schedule and get the project de- delivered. Um, dealing with another client who is facing legal challenges based on completed environmental review and permitting and they're trying to respond to those challenges both on an administrative level and in federal court. And then later in the day, I'm I'm dealing with another client who's trying to plan in advance based on what may be happening coming out of Congress and the infrastructure bill with respect to some of these environmental provisions. I mean, it's Today, you hit me on a really good day, Nick. It's as <laughs> typical day as you get. And, yeah. um, you know, that's you know really what I've been doing for a you know, large part of my career. Yeah, that's awesome. awesome. I love this stuff. So it's not boring to me. Right, um, right. Yeah. Do you have a team, Fred, or is it just do you work on what you work on and other people work on what they work on? Yeah, no, definitely I have a team. And, uh, you know, at the firm, I'm really lucky to have a group of you know, young associates who are, you know, working with me on any number of different projects. And, you know, they, they really love these kind of projects as well because they can dive right in and they get a lot of responsibility. I have a bunch of partners in the environmental practice group at Venable who are doing major project development around the country in different forms of infrastructure. Some uh, partners who specialize in, in mining, in the mining sector, you know, others who have been doing a whole bunch of work in the freight rail and high-speed rail area and even partners who are dealing with space exploration and the environmental aspects and permitting of space exploration. So uh, you you name it. Yeah, it's really cool. You name it and we do it. But they all have a common theme, you know, Laura. It's it's a common theme, which is, you know, how do you get from your, you know, I call it the light bulb moment. How do you get from the light bulb moment where you have an idea, a concept, a project, you know, to getting approval to do it, to actually building it. And that's our goal to try to assist, you know, folks to get through that as quickly as possible. And then once they do try to convince a man or a woman in a robe or three (laughs) men or women in a robe or nine men and women in robes (laughs) that we actually, that we actually did it right. You know, and again, you've hit me in a great week and this week is a great example. We, uh, in the past have talked about my work on uh, the Obama Presidential Center in Chicago. Yeah. You know, just this week, we were fortunate and we received a positive decision from the federal district court judge in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Uh, We received a positive decision from the Seventh Circuit denying uh, the plaintiff's motion for a a stay pending the appeal. And believe it or not, the plaintiffs have appealed to the Supreme Court seeking an emergency stay, preventing construction. We're waiting to hear from the Supreme Court about that. So, I mean, literally, it's a perfect week to describe (laughs) my work and my practice because, you know, I'm I'm doing the planning, I'm doing the thinking, I'm doing the defending. At least so far this week, it's been a good week because my clients have come out on the the positive end. Yeah, it's always good. Well, you sound um, super excited about the work and, and all of that. It seems really high pressure. I'd imagine this kind of work is not for everyone. It is high pressure. And I recall, you know, even from an early stage in my career, Laura, I had a, a story where I was the young associate. I wasn't the partner. I was the young associate working with another partner on a project here in town. And the consultant, you know, you or Nick called me up because they couldn't reach the partner. The partner was out of the office. Mm-hmm. And so they called me and they said, okay, here's the bottom line. 
this is the challenge we've received from the agency. Our deadline is today. Are you telling me that we have to stop the presses, not go forward with publishing our environmental document, and handle this comment before we go forward? And if we do, it'll take two weeks to conclusion. What's right. your answer? Yeah. You know, and yeah. and it was, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I was at the firm for like, you know, a year or so at that point in time. I was you know, really young. I had some experience in the process for sure. But the question wasn't just, you know, what do you think? The question is, you tell me, yes or no. Do we go forward? Do we, I don't know at that time whether it was, do we press send? But, you know, do we go to the printer? Printer? Do we go, print all this stuff or, or are we going to wait? Yeah. And then are you going to be the one to explain to the client why we're delayed for two weeks? You know? <laughs> that is, that right. is and pressure. <laughs> it is. It is. It is pressure. And, you know, hopefully all the steps before that point lead you to the correct answer. But right. the bottom line still is, Laura, time is money. These projects, you know, do don't get, you know, they don't get cheaper over time to build. They only get more expensive to build. And so sticking to schedules, but doing so in a reasonable fashion is a constant balancing act. And yes, there is pressure to identify for your clients from a legal perspective, right? You're, you're doing the stuff from the technical perspective, but from a legal perspective, right. the difference is I'm identifying for them. What's the risk? For, for example, in that case with a guy saying, you know, yes or no, two week delay or not, I had to talk to, well, what's the risk associated with that? If you leave this comment hanging and it's not responded to in a way that we could explain, you know, well in our record, this is the risk. If you think that we have enough in the record already, that's the risk. And ultimately, that's the client's call. And if I'm doing my job well and I'm identifying those risks properly, mm-hmm. you know, I've got an educated client. And, you know, like the old Sims clothing commercial from when I was growing up in New York City, you know, their logo was an educated consumer is our, is our best right. client. Same right. thing with me. If I have an yeah. educated client and they're making good decisions, I've really done my job. You know, so, right. you know, ultimately it isn't the lawyer said to do this. Right. It really is your decision to do it based on your assessment of risk. Gotcha. So did yeah. you stop the presses? I did not stop the presses that particular day. Okay. Um, and they went forward and, and happily uh, that project got built and I'll disclose it since it's in the public domain. That's the Capital One arena in downtown DC. What? Uh, there was a big, yeah, there was a big EIS done for that yeah. project because it was under the jurisdiction of the National Capital Planning Commission. It was uh, immediately across the street from the portrait gallery and other protected resources. And the NCPC did an EIS for that project. And, uh, you know, I was one of the lawyers going through the Section 106 and NEPA process for the Capital One Arena. And it got built, and not only did it get built, but arguably it's transformed you know, D.C. Oh, yeah. you know, forever in, yeah. in a good way. Yeah, yeah, in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Fred, that's too cool. Yeah. Right. It's a lot of pressure, <laughs> but it sounds like it's worth it. So that's really neat. It is. And I, I think you'll agree that, as one of my friends has said in the past, you know, nothing big, you know, doing something big is never easy. And it's going to take a lot of effort and there's going to be twists and turns in the road and it's not all going to be linear in in one direction. But at the end, doing something like that is positive and beneficial and it's worth taking the time to do it. Yeah. And then every time you drive by there, you get to see that and say, hey, I was a part of it. That's pretty cool. Well, that's right. And that is the coolest part of my job. You know, I've been involved in any number of projects where you, you get to see the fruits of you're a small part of it, the legal part, yeah. uh, but you see the fruits of your labor. And more important, you, you try to see if what you've been saying is 
true, you know, whether yeah. the expected benefits have been realized. Well, what, yeah. what about the harms? Have you mitigated those harms? And you hope that you've done a good job and you've looked at all that, you know, accurately. And none of us are soothsayers. None of us, you know, know the future, right. you know, perfectly. But if you've done your job right, you've been able to balance all those concerns, right? Exactly. That's great. I think uh, I'm ready to get my Aaron Brockovich on. So (laughs) if I wanted to go back to school and uh, if I was younger, so, you know, considering your younger professional self and these interns and students, you talk about working with uh, up and coming environmental attorneys, what kind of advice or what do you see with them that you would say to them to help them progress in their early careers? Yeah. I mean, the thing that I tell a lot of students who are thinking about going to law school and, and, and want to enter into the environmental you know, law profession is, you know, you have to keep in mind what the practice is day in and day out. In other words, environmental law isn't all about going out and saving the world in that sort of sense. Some of it is, you know, very procedural. So I tell students, you really need to take administrative law at law school and think about administrative processes even more than the environmental statutes themselves. You know, you'll be able to read them, you'll be able to understand them, you'll be able to apply, you know, your legal thinking and reasoning to understand the statutes and the regulations. But unless you really understand how a law goes from Congress to the agencies, the agencies implement those laws through regulation, you know, how those regulations are enforced, and then you're not really understanding environmental law. It truly is an administrative practice. And so as a result, you have to be very patient uh, because of all the things we just talked about. Sometimes the administrative process is interminable. You know, it it takes forever to get from point A to point B. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't see that endpoint, you know, very clearly, but you need to understand how to do it and how to do it well. And then ultimately, you know, your work is going to hopefully in order to the benefit of the environment. You know, the other thing I tell students coming up who are interested in, in law is that you also have to really appreciate the differences and the shades of gray in the field because it just, it, from the outside, it seems so clear. It seems so black and white and, and it's obviously not. And you know that having been in the profession and I know that having practiced law for over 30 years, but until you actually start interacting with clients and you start interacting with problems, you just don't appreciate it. So I've been asked a lot, you know, how do you work at a private firm after working in the federal government? You know, do you feel bad, you know, representing, <laughs> you know, it, you know, yeah. industry or whatever? Yeah. And the answer is absolutely not. I've never felt bad doing that because the folks that I work with are trying to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, yes. they they have problems or they have sincere, you know, disputes over the interpretation of a regulation. Doesn't mean they're trying to get around it. Doesn't mean they're. Right trying to pollute. It means they're trying to figure out the best way to comply, advance their company's agenda, but at the same time comply with the law. And those problems sometimes are hard. And then the other thing I tell people, Laura, about practicing law is that you have to understand that if folks are coming to you as an environmental lawyer, they're not coming to you because they've got an easy problem. (laughs) (laughs) If they had something that was easy, you know, they're not even picking up the phone, right? They're, right, not even, right. they're not even consulting you. They're coming to you because something's hard. You know, yeah. either there's, you know, a real difficult business call, a political decision, or there's, you know, a tremendous challenge to their company or to a project. And by definition, then it's going to be subtle. It's not going to be so easy. 
And I think you have to appreciate that as well. You know, that the motivation for people to pick up the phone and, and get lawyers involved is only when there's been, you know, many efforts to get things right, or there's a true concern that can't be resolved, or, you know, parties are at loggerheads for whatever reason. And that's why you're getting involved. So by definition, right. it's going to be the challenging kind of problem. So, you know, those are the sorts of things I, I tell people to maybe give them a more sober outlook about what practicing environmental law could be. And finally, the last thing is just remember that it's a long career. You know, it, hopefully if you enter the career and you love it, uh, like I do, you're going to be representing folks, at, you know, maybe in the private sector, like I am now. You may be in government, like I have been. You may work with public interest groups over the course of your career and NGOs. You probably will do it all you know, over the course of a, you know, happy and long legal career. So understand all the different sides of the table, and hopefully you'll get a chance to represent those different sides of the table over the course of a career. That's only going to make you a better lawyer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great. That's um, really good advice. Absolutely. And then Nick, uh, why don't you uh, take over with the hard hitting questions? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think though, um, you know, just to wrap that up, what I'm hearing too is, if you dedicate yourself to uh, doing this, eventually you'll be, maybe you'll find your way onto this podcast. That's all I'm saying, uh, which is the <laughs> highest level of, uh, of your career. I think, um, I think that's fair. Uh, the, the, I think uh, the, that's the definition of 21st century career advancement. Uh, you're, you're interesting <laughs> enough that some podcast somewhere wants you. As a guest. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, do, I definitely want to talk infrastructure plan with you, but before we dive into that, I don't know what it is. We know I just I've been reading a lot more about the history of environmental policy in the U.S. recently, and I know that you've seen it change over the years. Um, and we touched on this a little bit before with you, but I really would like to hear a little bit more about like what led up to the passing of NEPA in the first place. Or like what were we doing before that, you know? And um, you know how has it changed over the years? Yeah, it, you know it's a great question, and there's a there's a couple of one of my former law partners and a good colleague, John Cannon who just recently retired as a law professor at the University of Virginia Law School, where I went to law school, has written a great book about that very question about the history of environmental law and sort of the progress that it's made. So I commend that to the audience as well to look up uh, John Cannon's book. But my sense is, and if I could overgeneralize it, it's very much like when you go on a diet mm-hmm. and you want to lose 20 pounds. Sometimes when you start and right away, you know, you start eating the right things and you start exercising and whatnot, the first 10 or 12 pounds sometimes is not that hard, right? Because you've made this change. You've addressed some of the obvious things that you shouldn't be doing. So, you you know, you cut out the junk food or this or that, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple less beers or whatever, and you see some progress. And it happens sometimes pretty quick, right? When you start. But then the hard part, isn't that the hard part is maintaining it. And then the really hard part is the last two or three pounds right. <laughs> yeah. where you're, where you're trying to get to that goal. Yeah. And I think that in some peculiar way, I think the history of environmental law, including you know, NEPA follows that trend. So in the 1960s, there was some clear and obvious problems that were affecting the country. The environment movement was born. Mm-hmm. And you had an era of major environmental statutes being passed, not just NEPA, the grandfather of environmental law, but you know, clean air laws, clean water laws, hazardous yeah. waste laws, you name it. 
Yeah. You know, from the 60s up until, you know, and through, you know, the passage of Superfund and then ultimately the Clean Air Act amendments, major statutory endeavors to try to address these issues that everybody saw. And so, and there was major progress accomplished right away as a result of these statutes. And I don't think anybody would disagree with the general proposition that our country has benefited that way in our environment, our air and water is better and cleaner. But what we're seeing from the 19, mid-1980s and beyond is we're trying to get to the last three to five pounds. Right, right. <laughs> and, that's, and that is so much harder. And not only are we trying to get to the last three to five pounds, but we're now realizing that some of the things that we've been eating all this time, even though we haven't gained a lot of weight, may not right. necessarily be the best things for us. Right, right. And so now we're trying to make even more subtle changes, not just to, you know, exercise and this or that, but we're trying to maybe change the content of what we're putting in our bodies in a way that's different that we may not have expected before because, gosh, we, you know, we thought these things were fine for us. And now we're seeing, right. you know, different sorts of, you know, progress. And the same thing's true with environmental law. You know, yeah. we're dealing with, you know, the different chemicals that had been approved, but now we're seeing are creating long, persistent issues in the environment. You know, we're dealing with infrastructure development in a way that's trying to address head on environmental justice and equity issues that we saw happening around us. But now we're trying to figure out what's the best way to deal with that moving forward. And Mm -hmm. these last three to five pounds get really hard. Yeah. And they get really hard to implement and they get really hard in terms of policy calls and really hard in terms of decision making for public entities as well as, you know, private actors. And I think that's what we're saying. You know, think about NEPA. How simple a premise is it? Right. Think about your actions before you take them. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> think about your actions before you take them and, and involve the public so they're aware of what's going on. That's what the law is all about. How simple a proposition, but it wasn't federal law until 1969. Yeah, I know. But but now we're dealing with something that's much more subtle than that. You know, not just, okay, think about your your actions before you take them, but, you know, what are the best actions to take? And are there different sorts of ways to get there that affect, you know, disadvantaged communities in a way that we may not have contemplated before. These get more difficult. These get more challenging. And I think this is true, not just for NEVA, but I think it's true for all media, you know, air, water, hazards, hazardous materials. I think we're seeing that question and these questions get, you know, harder as we try to fight for the last, you know, three to five pounds of these goals. And, 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 yeah. and the scale is always, and the, and the goalposts are always going to move. Right. Right, I think we're always going to try to find another five pounds. You know, you'll go to your doctor's office and say, hey, look at me. I'm doing great. And then he shows you the BMI scouts as well. You should be 20 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. And you you get all pissed off at your doctor. But I mean, (laughs) the goalpost will will always move a little bit. So can we can we do better? Can we do better still? And so that's sort of the way I describe it. It's not very legal, but I think it's a good analogy. I oh, love so, yeah. that. I'm thinking about how I had a bowl of cereal this morning and weighed myself. And like when I got my cereal, I was thinking this is not the right action not the right, for yeah. this. <laughs> I'm not gaining weight, but I'm not losing weight. Yeah. And then I also, now that you just said that, I'm like, I also chose a cereal that's not 
locally sourced or the healthiest <laughs> kind or like right, so right. there's more options for cereal than there used to be so i love well, that analogy it's that, great <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you I, I think it's a really interesting way to look at, at the world and i think it's yeah. totally applicable to the way environmental law is developed you know we are absolutely making these more subtle more difficult decisions and we were evaluating the cost so yeah. again let's play this analogy out right Okay, I want to get a different cereal. Am I going to spend two more dollars a box to get it? Right. Am I going to? Yes. Am yes. I going? Am I going to go across town to the store to find it because it may not be in the store that I normally shop? What level of right. effort are you willing to take to do that? Exactly. And it's the same thing for environmental law. What What else are we prepared to do? And the cost to do it to obtain those benefits, and how do we make those decisions? That's the challenge of environmental law in the twenty first century. Yeah. And you're exactly ah. right. It was all about level of effort. I'm like, I got this podcast in a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hungry. Um, yeah, I'm so they're making something. So here we go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I mean, it's a great transition. I think, you know, like, so the infrastructure bill in the Senate has passed. You know, that's where we are now. And for those unfamiliar, it's a trillion dollar bill that would bring new construction projects throughout the U.S. to expand, refurbish roads, highways, bridges, airports, et cetera. And it's it's a huge bill, you know, but right off the bat, there's there's an instant NEPA connection that we that you saw. And so, you know, and again, this is our analogy. This is us getting down to those last few pounds. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, the Senate, in a really bipartisan vote, I mean, yeah. you know, they got 69 votes for this infrastructure package passed a truly you know, transformational trans- uh, bill that would add $550 billion over current expenditures, not just for uh, transportation infrastructure, but for broadband. There's yeah. additional uh, for water infrastructure. There's a different money for cleanups, hazardous waste cleanups, and so forth. A, a lot is in this bill. But the thing that is now going to become a challenge with respect to the NEPA process is that the legislation included some permitting reform and permitting streamline measures that I think some progressives did not expect to be in that bill. In particular, a couple of provisions uh, codify the Trump administration, one federal decision executive order dealing with the timing and content of NEPA analyses. As you know, the Biden administration rescinded that executive order like one of the first things they did. They rescinded that executive order like the first week they were in office. Right. And now here we are. It's back in the legislation. And yet <laughs> the legislation has the support of the Biden administration. Yeah. So what's so what gives is the question. Exactly. And <laughs> you know, my theory is that there's a reason it got to 69 votes, Nick. Right. And this is one of the reasons. Yeah. I, I mean, I think for years, you know, Republicans have said that they're all for more infrastructure. They they love infrastructure as much as Democrats. They love going to ribbon cuttings just as much as Democrats, right? <laughs> you know, but they always had a hook and the hook was, but we get really ticked off at how long it takes to build projects in the United States of America. We look up, we see you know, China building new rail and highways and hospitals, and it seems in the blink of an eye, mm-hmm. and we struggle and struggle and struggle. So they've always been on the bandwagon of, you know, reforming uh, NEPA, NEPA, streamlining, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the MAP 21, the FAST Act had a lot of those provisions. Yeah. And everything that I'd heard was that the Democrats had said, you know, we've reached our limit. You know, we've given and given and given. You know, so far we haven't seen any, you know, real negative implications you know, from NEPA based on those. But we're kind of done with that. You know, right. here's the money. Let's do it. And let's move forward. And the Republicans are back and say, well, you may be done. 
you know, but we're not, we're, we're, yeah, we, not we, yeah. we're not, we still see some problems out there that, that we want to address and we want to make them not just best practice. We want to make them law. Yeah. And so you have like 250 pages of the 2,700 page bill address permitting and streamlining. Now, some of them are not very controversial. I don't want to give the impression that every you know sentence and paragraph is going to you know, draw the ire of of liberals, but some of them are pretty basic, like the Federal Permitting Council was, you know, about ready to sunset after the FAST Act. You know, this bill would extend that. Okay. And I think there's large agreement that the Permitting Council has a role to play and it's a good thing overall. And people like the dashboard, people like accountability and the role of the Permitting Council to help resolve disputes between agencies. That, that's not controversial. But when you have a provision that says, for example, that the alternative section of an EIS should be no longer than, you know, X number of pages, which is in the bill. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. That gets people upset. The people who didn't like time limitations, who didn't like page limitations, et cetera. So, you know, that's in there. And I've already read that the, you know, progressives in the House are are seeking to change the bill. And one of the things that they're seeking to change is going to be that stuff. So yeah. what's that going to mean? Is that going to, you know, threaten some of that consensus in the Senate or will, you know, Nancy Pelosi and, and the president's people be able to convince those folks that, you know, to stand down and to, you know, achieve some of the benefits of the bill, but you're going to have to deal with some of this compromise. I don't know. Right. I don't know, but it's in there. And I contend it was a, a bit of a surprise. Again, I've spoken to people about it. And I've asked folks, I said, you know, how did it get in there? I, I thought <laughs> you and the administration didn't want this stuff. Yeah. And they'll say, yeah, it's in there, but it's not that big a deal. We, you know, it, it's all right. And you speak to other ends of the spectrum and you say, how, you know, how'd you get it in there? And they say, oh, no, this is a really big deal. Right, right. And we're glad we got it in there. So as with everything in Washington, the, proof, the, the truth is probably, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the middle. In the middle. Yeah. Um, you know, where there's some things that, you know, probably are pretty routine and other things that are going to change things a bit. But if this thing is going to pass ultimately through the house, never mind the reconciliation process, you know, the complication of that, but just purely on on the matter of the infrastructure bill, if this is going to pass, I do think you're still going to see some of those provisions stay in there because it's that important to the conservatives who signed on in the Senate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I say, it's very well said. And like I say, I always love to hear your perspective on it. And I love that there's more than one because there always is, right? It's kind of how this things work, these things work. Right. Do you think that seeing this in there, like, you know, does that give us a hint about where the Biden administration wants to take NEPA legislation or is it just for this bill? It's just for this bill. I think, you know, I, I do believe that, you know, the long awaited, you know, revisions to the CQ regs that the administration has promised yeah. are going to be more aligned with the you know more progressive views of NEPA and NEPA review, I believe, than the infrastructure bill. As you know, the administration already told all the federal agencies they didn't have to rush out new NEPA regulations. They extended the you know by two years the deadlines from the uh, 2020 revisions, and they announced through the regulatory agenda document with the Office of Management Budget a two-phased approach to the new NEPA regulations. Phase one could happen any minute. Right. Allegedly, the first phase is sitting at OMB trying to get approval for release. Agency lawyers around the government, you know, are looking at it. 
And that first phase is going to deal with some of the big ticket items most important to the administration. It's going to deal with a greenhouse gas analysis. It's going to deal with environmental justice and what should be part of environmental justice reviews. It's going to deal with the highest priorities of the administration. Yeah. And then I think phase two later on will be more of the nitty gritty stuff mm-hmm. in terms of NEPA re- review and the regulations. And remember, even this administration didn't oppose everything that was in the new regs, right? It, was, right, it wasn't, right. you know, lock, stock, and barrel. There's some things that they liked. And those will be some of the more subtle distinctions, maybe at that point dealing with, you know, how to deal with cumulative effects analyses and stuff like that. But, you know, tick, tick, tick. I mean, it's time yeah, for yeah, the administration to. Yeah, yeah, it's time for the administration to put its cards on the table, I think, and and let folks know the litigation that we were following in our first two podcasts in the Western District of Virginia ended up being a giant dud um, because <laughs> <laughs> because the federal district court judge basically said that the organization's challenge to the 2020 NEPA regs was not right because they needed to do so in the context of specific projects, and we didn't know how the re- the regulations were being implemented. I'm not exactly sure I agreed with that ruling because there's certain things in the regulations that, you know, are being done right now that could affect folks' rights, but that's how the court ruled. And so September, 2020 regs, they're, they're in force until the administration does something new until it, you know, does something new to change them, issues a notice of proposed rulemaking to get the, the rules changed. So really the burden is on them to move this along. And as we know from the past, you know, effort to change the regulations, I predict quite confidently that we're going to be talking about them racing to finalize the NEPA regulations somewhere between August and December of 2024. Yeah. Yep. It's it's going to take that long, the comment periods, legal challenges, you name it. They're going to try to push it along, but this is going to take that long. And so not only for all the projects that have started since September of 2020 and that are, you know, on the books and people are initiating NEPA reviews now, but, you know, for the ones over the course of the next three years, it's really incumbent upon the administration to put something in writing and, you know, just you know, see where it goes. But I think we'll see phase one. Again, I hate predicting, but, you know, right. I'm thinking, I think around Labor Day or something like that, we'll finally see it. Okay. Yeah. And man, I was really hoping you'd say 2021 and I knew you weren't going to. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the millennial in me. I just want everything now. You know. Well, it's a little bit, I'm a little bit surprised myself, Nick, because I, I thought yeah. that they they had a pretty good idea of what they wanted to do, and and maybe yeah. they wanted to see the, the litigation resolve itself first, or and maybe there was some delay because the CQ leadership took a while to get in place. I don't know, but we're hoping to see something soon. Okay, great. And just to kind of wrap up on the infrastructure bill, this is probably an unfair question for you, but is there anything else? One other thing that stood out to you in the bill that's, that's passed the Senate. Well, I mean, I do think that there was a recognition that the definition of infrastructure ain't what it used to be. Right. And the inclusion of broadband, the inclusion of, you know, you know, water facilities and so forth. I think there is a little bit more consensus that, you know, the things that people rely on day in and day out to make their lives better in terms of infrastructure is a lot more than just roads, bridges, and transit. And I think I'm glad of that. That, that, yeah. that, that makes sense because people yeah. know about it in that way. And again, the reconciliation bill in terms of what the administration has called human infrastructure, you know, healthcare, education, childcare, et cetera. You know, that's obviously that there's still a big political debate over all that. But right. I believe the debate has advanced and this bill reflects that, that, you know, the kind of things that people rely on for government to do related to infrastructure you know, that definition has been expanded. 
And I think there's an acceptance of that. And, you know, I think Secretary Buttigieg, you know, put it best where he said, you know, people only care about infrastructure when it doesn't work. Right. You know, if, <laughs> if everything, yeah. if everything is working fine, you just, you know, you just, you get to work or you pick up the phone and there's a dial tone or you turn on your faucet and there's water or you put it your garbage and it's taken away or you, you know, hook onto the internet and you have a good connection and that's it. You don't think about it, but if it's not working, Mm -hmm. you really care about it. Well, that's infrastructure. It's the stuff that you count on rely on every day that if it isn't there, the quality of your life is measurably affected. I think there is some understanding. Now, I don't know if it'll go as far as you know healthcare and childcare and so forth as a political matter, but I think there's some understanding that those obligations of you know government and the public sector to provide for its citizens is it's a lot broader than just the typical definition. So that's the other thing that struck me in this bill. I think uh, the needle moved a little bit. You know, it didn't move as far as some people wanted, but it certainly moved yeah. a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah, I totally agree. That's uh, really well said too. Fred's good at this, Laura. I don't know if you know that. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I've learned so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great, great, great. He's always stuff. talking in these terms I can understand. Yeah, I can totally understand, which is always the best part. That's why we like having you. Yeah, on. I'll, I've been I've been told that. I'll try to prevent that in the future. I'll talk more like a lawyer <laughs> yeah, in future. If podcasts. you could, please. <laughs> I will. I will. No, no. Um, but uh, you know, I you know, just because you had this this expertise, it's another reason I want to ask this next question. You know, like, so what happens next with this bill? With the you know, we passed in the Senate, and so yeah, but we're not even close to good to go, right? No, we're not. Uh, you know, this is tied up in two parts. You know, the promise that the Democrats said that they would be uh, partnered with the reconciliation budget bill, and we know that the final reconciliation bill is not going to be the three and a half trillion version that passed the Senate. We know there's going to be a lot of give and take there. Already, the two senators in the moderate Democratic wing, uh, Manchin and Cinema, have already said that they expect some changes in that. And otherwise, they, you know, Schumer won't even get 50 votes in the in the Senate. So we know that has to happen. And then again, some of these other pushback on the infrastructure bill itself, it's going to be, you know, down to the wire uh, this fall. And, uh, you know, the Senate doesn't even come back until the second week in September. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's going to take the majority of the fall to work this all out and to see if Schumer's uh, 50 votes can hold and if uh, Nancy Pelosi's majority in the House could hold because she only has a you know, four or five seat margin. So it's going to be a razor's edge to get this done. But, you know, at least for the first half of the deal, the infrastructure part of the deal, there there appears to be a you know, general consensus. It's just a matter of how hard the pushback will be on the reconciliation uh, yeah. bill to, to see if folks are you know willing to maintain that consensus or whether it's just a bridge too far yeah. uh, for them to say, you know, you still have my vote. And it's going to be close. It's going to be close. Yeah. And I think no matter what happens, we'll have to have you back on to talk through it because it's like I say, this this world we live in now, it is, there's so much going on. And uh, yeah, we'd have to hear from you. We have to. Well, I'm glad to do it. And it's it's always my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for sharing on the bill today. We are running out of time, but there's one more topic we want to talk about because it is important to us and we're going to keep talking about it. <laughs> And that's environmental justice. So we're wondering if you had any updates for us on Biden's environmental justice agenda. And um, how's it going after the first eight months? 
Well, I mean, it is changing every day. It's advancing every day. Just this week, for example, the Army Corps of Engineers announced that it was going to be going back and redoing an environmental impact statement for a major facility in Louisiana with uh, significant environmental justice concerns to the community, both in terms of pollution, but also in terms of historical and cultural issues, uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the likelihood of the presence of burial sites mm-hmm. of uh, certain communities in that area. I mean, that had been in litigation for two years, and there's a new EIS that's going to be done there. Since we talked last, the EPA has issued two more memoranda talking about strengthening enforcement specifically to take environmental justice into account. To oversimplify it, Laura, it just means that if you, if the agency is faced with you know five possible areas where it could enforce laws, and three of them are in places that impact disadvantaged or minority communities, it's likely going to be dealing with the enforcement there as opposed to the two other areas that may not. Mm-hmm. And so they are absolutely going in that direction. Since we last talked, the White House Environmental Justice Council issued its Justice Forty initial recommendations where not only are we trying to promote environmental justice concerns in in general, but the definition of what they want to do means that their goal is at 40%. That's what the Justice 40 initiative is about. Mm -hmm. 40% of federal expenditures should be to the benefit of disadvantaged and minority communities. So not only trying to prevent problems, but try to you know spend money where there's an affirmative benefit that's being identified. Nice. That of course affects our NEPA world yeah. because agencies now may be asking, okay, just just don't tell me about disproportionate adverse effects, but can you also maybe think about defining for us the beneficial effects to these communities so that we can get quote credit for it end quote uh, yeah. In, yeah. in terms of this Justice Forty initiative. So that is being advanced. And then I think very soon you're going to see proposals to amend the Clinton-era executive order on environmental justice that's going to be amended and changed. And I think you're going to see improvements to some of the tools available to professionals out there dealing with environmental justice impacts. And I think EPA is going to modify tremendously its EJ screen tool uh, that's available right now. I think they're going to be amending that in the very near future. I mean, in short, things are happening every day. And the next big shoe to drop is the one that we talked about earlier, which is how the CEQ is going to say environmental justice concerns should be incorporated into NEPA reviews. And that's definitely going to be part of their phase one proposal as soon as it comes out. So it's literally, you have to check your mailbox every day, Lord, <laughs> to see what's going on from the different agencies in the administration as far as EJ is concerned. Great. Well, it's good to see it moving forward in a positive direction. We're seeing it play out here with the decision to take down Highway 81 that runs through Syracuse. And there's been some protests and talks and it's been a lot of the holdup and trying to figure out what to do with it. So it's good timing for that, I think. Hmm. So that's the end of our time, Fred. It goes by so quick. Anything else you want to touch on before you go? Uh, no, I just, as always, when I speak to you, stay healthy, stay safe out there. And I look forward to our next session. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Fred. And uh, that's our show. Thank you, Fred, so much for joining us today. It's always fun to hear from you and, uh, you know. And educational. Yes, yes. We always learn so much. And (laughs) and it's really digestible. I love that, you know, which is a play on the diet thing we did. So (laughs) Yeah, no cereal for the next week. Yeah, yeah. For either one of us. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As always, please be sure to check us out each and every Friday. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. See you, everybody. Bye.